Dissecting Dexter is brought to you by Audible.com. For your free audiobook download and free trial, go to www.audibletrial.com slash Dexter. Hello everyone. Welcome back to Dissecting Dexter. My name's Gareth Watkins, coming to you, as I usually do, from the mobile studio, deep in the heart of gorgeous, beautiful, rural North Yorkshire, England, um, where it's very windy and overcast and cold. (laughs) Of course, it's third week of December, it's the Yuletide season, of course it's grey and gloomy and windy and grotty. That's what we do here in England at Christmas time. (laughs) When did we last have a white Christmas? We did have a white Christmas maybe four years ago. We had a lot of snowfall sort of late November, early December, and it stuck around um, until Christmas. And uh, so we did have snow on the ground on Christmas Day, which was very nice. I don't mind snow. I I love snow, um, except when I've got to be somewhere. You know, when you've got to make a journey to get somewhere and then it's crap. It's a pain in the neck. (laughs) But um, it's lovely when you're inside and the weather's snowy outside and you can sit in the warm with a fire going and look out at the uh, at the snow coming down. I do like that. So how the hell are you? It's um, it's not been that long since I last spoke to you because, um, well, there was the. Hannibal versus Dexter podcast that I did with Mike Lanick over at Hungry for Hannibal. Uh, When was that? Was that September? So it's not that long, Um, but well, (laughs) it's been at least a year and a half since we last did a rewatch podcast. It's been nearly a year since I finished off the season eight finale feedback. Well, (laughs) What's the point in making excuses? It's been an extended, an unintentional, um, particularly extensive hiatus. I'd never meant it to be this long. And I did promise you in my intro for the Hungry for Hannibal show that I would get a podcast out there by Christmas. And, well, I've just about done it by the skin of my teeth. So here we are. hope you enjoy. The rewatches are back. We are starting season three. Following on from two, for me, very strong seasons of television. For those of you new to the podcast, this is a spoiler-free show. The intention for the, with these rewatches is that they serve as a companion to Dexter, so that you can watch an episode and then listen to the podcast, in which I recap and review each episode, um, speculate a bit, about what might be coming up. Obviously, of course, I know what's coming up, as um, I'm sure a lot of the listeners do, who may be listening to these for nostalgia's sake. But for those of you experiencing Dexter for the first time and have discovered these podcasts, you do not need to worry about being spoiled for future episodes. Um, I hate spoilers, and um, and people who spoil... <laughs> And it's not nice, and I'm certainly not going to do that to my listeners, so fear not, you can listen to these shows in comfort and safety, secure in the knowledge that um, I'm not going to ruin anything that's coming up. We we will 
refer to things that have happened in previous episodes, but not anything that's yet to come. Right, so, for listeners new and old, and I appreciate every single one of you, of course, welcome back. It is Christmas time, so, of course, there'll be another break. (laughs) But I have... I do... Honestly, I have every intention of resuming the rewatches with some sort of semi-regularity. I can't commit to uh, how often I'll get these out there, but um, I'm going to make every effort to uh, crank these out with, um, as I say, semi-regularity. I will keep the Facebook page updated with um, my preparations for podcasts as they come up so that those of you that want to contribute to the feedback section uh, get reasonable warning so you have time to uh, put pen to paper or voice to voicemail or whatever it may be and uh, and get it into me. Well let's crack on. I know it's traditional for me to ramble for 10 minutes or so about what's been going on but um, I'm sure it's been long enough <laughs> without dissecting Dexter that um, you're anxious I'm sure to get cracking and delve into the first episode of season three suffice it to say life has been life work has been busy family has been fun everyone's well kids are great Uh, wife is awesome and uh, we're all very well and excited for Christmas of course Christmas at home this year. I'm on call Christmas Day, actually. Here I'm rambling, aren't I? I've I've fallen straight into the trap. I mention the R word and I start doing it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm on call this year, um, hoping for a quiet day. I'm going to um, try to avoid drinking too much, just in case I have to log on and and, and fix any faults. But um, I I don't want to jinx it by saying no one has ever been called out on Christmas Day in my company. There's always a first time and never say never, but... um, But I'm looking forward to Christmas. It's nearly here, and uh, I'm sure by the time a lot of you listen to this, it will have already been and gone. But um, I'm recording this today on the 22nd of December 2014. Yeah, looking forward to it. uh, It really is uh, one of my favourite times of the year in uh, in the Watkins household. Okay, back to Dexter. Let's do it. It's Season 3, Episode 1, entitled Our Father. Original air date, the 24th of April, 2009. Written by the then showrunner, Clyde Phillips, and directed by Keith Gordon. Here we go. The episode opens with a recap of season two. It gave me a nice, nostalgic feeling for what was a very tense season. If you remember, at the time I watched it first time round, I didn't know that there might be a season three, so it added to the tension for me, not knowing if Dexter would survive or get caught or what. (sighs) Ah, dokes. (laughs) That was some great stuff between him and Dexter. I really miss that guy. The season proper begins with a nice touch of humour that we love so well on the show, We think Dexter's at the kill table, but in fact he's at the dentist having a crown done. They have a fun conversation in which we learn Dexter's been keeping busy while we've been away. It's a nice, light-hearted welcome back. Dexter mentions how he's been able to settle into a nice, normal world, as he puts it. And we cut to Dexter and Rita doing the dirty, all 
tastefully shot, of course, but when he says that, we can't help but feel he's kidding himself. What is normal for him? It's it's not quite what you or I would consider it to be. His normality has to be punctuated every so often by killing, of course, but I guess to Dexter it might be as close to normal as he can get right now. He says Rita is the scaffolding that holds it all in place. He looks quite happy, to be honest. It's interesting how he described Rita there. It it suggests she's the key part of his life. He didn't say killing was the scaffolding. No, it's Rita. It's perfectly natural to have someone special in your life who supports you and um, makes you happy, but historically it's not been normal for Dexter. It suggests that he's making some progress on his personal journey, embracing this woman, but we mustn't think for a minute that he's opened up to her about his dark side, but describing her as his scaffolding really does indicate that he's become attached to her. Dare I say he's falling in love with her, or something close to that. Or, if we were to be cynical about all this, could we read between the lines and dig a bit deeper and maybe suggest that Dexter needs to appear normal in order to stay undetected. It's part of the facade that he needs to maintain and Rita is a key part of that. She's the scaffolding that helps keep his mask in place. We know Dexter's an unreliable narrator in this story so you could argue either way. I like to think that there may be a bit of both going on. He has to keep his mask in place and stay undiscovered but at the same time He does look genuinely content in these scenes. Even in the family breakfast scene, Cody giving him a big hug and asking him to come to the the dad's career day at school. It's all very cosy and normal and notably Dexter doesn't look uncomfortable at all. However, like a drug addict needs his fix, so Dexter still needs to kill to keep himself on the level. He has a guy called Freebo on his radar the killer of two girls, but released on a technicality. Classic case of one that slipped the legal net and right into Dexter's sights. But the daily routine still has to be fulfilled, and as Dexter brings a whopping great big box of donuts to the office at Miami Metro, we see Deb's cut her hair, and there's a new detective in the ranks, Joey Quinn. My first thought when I originally watched was, oh, OK, Dokes his replacement and some new love interest for Deb. But whether that comes to pass, we shall see. For now, Deb looks nice. The short hair makes a change, and of course Dexter has failed to notice, but they make arrangements for their traditional night out to commemorate their dad's birthday. We have a strange little conversation between LaGuerta and Batista. There seems to be a little undercurrent of sexual tension there. LaGuerta seemingly interested in Batista's personal life, but then she announces to everyone that Batista has been promoted and become sergeant, so... Well done, Angel. Nice one, mate. Perhaps this is why LaGuerta was seeming to pry. She wants Batista to stay on the straight and narrow now that he's sergeant. Leading by example, I guess. Deb's excited, though. She seems to think that she's now a shoo-in for a detective position, with Batista moving up to sergeant. Somewhat randomly, Masuka makes a point of asking Dexter to proofread an article he's written for a forensic journal. Is this something like... Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's article. (laughs) Seems random now, but will it be important later? Next, Dexter takes a drive to scope out Freebo. 
He knows he's a drug dealer, so he puts his acting head on and pretends to be a junkie to get inside Freebo's house. Nice little performance. Inside, Dexter's asking Freebo for a score, and a girl comes in asking for a hit of her own. Freebo blows her off and calls her Tegan twice. It felt unnecessary for ordinary conversation to me. I mean, when you're speaking to someone, you're having a conversation, you don't usually refer to them by their name like that, certainly not more than once. It's... Well, to me, it seems a little bit awkward. You just talk to them. You you look them in the eye and you talk to them. Even if you're not looking them in the the eye, you start a conversation and you finish it. You don't refer to them directly by their, their name, do you? It's not something I'm aware of doing. But it stood out to me and it made me think that we were supposed to remember her name for later. It was purely the writers making sure we remembered her name. We see Dexter setting up the kill room, something I always enjoy. We don't often see him just getting things ready, doing his logistical preparation. This scene's only brief, but I appreciated it. In the next scene, Deb's approached by a woman who very quickly gets under her skin. Raw. You like it raw? Excuse me? The sugar. You like the raw stuff? It's my job to notice things. Morgan. Right? Do I know you? New haircut. It's cute. All right, who the fuck are you? <laughs> Yuki Mato, Internal Affairs. And? You know a Joey Quinn? Why? Well, he started drawing our attention back when he was in narcotics. He's in your orbit now. I don't know the guy except the end of my paperwork. It'd be really cool if you could get next to him, you know? Are you high? No, never been. Well, Yuki, that's not going to happen. Cooperation with IA has its upside in the department. Yeah, maybe for Rosen. Okay. Well, it was nice to finally meet you in person, you know. (laughs) Bye. What is it you think Quinn did exactly? Oh. Mm-mm. You don't get to blow me off and still ask questions. Interesting. So, right away, we're meant to suspect Quinn's a dirty cop. Or at least someone who's crossed the line enough to have the finger of suspicion pointing at him. Deb's not one to just rat on a colleague, though, but it has to set her thinking what's up with their newest colleague. Is it just me, or was Yuki like a creepy journalist after a story? I don't think I like her. <laughs> She gave the impression of knowing more about Deb than she was letting on. Not sure why. Deb's not done anything to get on the radar at internal effect. Oh, excuse me. Wind. <laughs> um, yeah, she's not done anything to get on the radar at internal affairs, unless Yuki had looked into Deb before they met as a potential spy for them. To keep watch on Quinn. It's fair to suspect that we've not seen the last of this woman. That night... Dexter breaks into Freebo's house under the cover of darkness and loud music. The music could be handy to cover any noise if things get rough. Dexter creeps through the house to find Freebo already in a fight with another man. Perhaps without the loud music he might have heard something (laughs) and maybe not proceeded. Oh dear. Well, Freebo makes a break for it and the other guy comes at Dexter with a knife. In the struggle, Dexter's crown pops out of his mouth but despite this handicap, he still wins the fight and the other guy goes down, having been impaled. 
They have an amusing little exchange of who are yous. Dexter scrambles around looking for his crown. Of course, he doesn't want to leave any evidence behind. Voices outside the door force him to make a run for it, taking the murder weapon with him and having to leave his crown behind. He beats it back to the kill room, where he quickly clears everything up, but has a slight smile in his face as he muses how he's never killed anyone who hasn't been properly vetted before. Someone whose guilt he was in any doubt about. He's never stepped outside the code before, and the smile on his face suggests he finds some amusement in that. Maybe a, a small thrill? Something, Doing something spontaneous is exciting, it seems, but he wonders... Who the hell it was he just killed? As he's driving away, Dex gets the call he's been waiting for. Of course, he was expecting to be called to Freebo's house when the body was discovered. And he's very curious as to the identity of the man he killed. He drives to Freebo's house, where the crime scene crew are already well at work. Deb's full of the joys of spring that Batista's brought her on board for the case. A case she thinks will get her, her detective's badge. Inside the house, she points out Miguel Prado, who we see being comforted by LaGuerta. Prado, we learn, is the assistant district attorney, renowned, we're told by Deb, for his crusade to put as many bad guys away as possible. Top prosecutor in Florida, three years in a row, apparently. Another guy with him is pointed out as Ramon Prado, Miguel's younger brother, who's with the sheriff's department and known for being a bit of a hard-ass. The dead man, we learn, is Oscar Prado, their baby brother. Yep, shit just got personal for ADA Prado, and Dexter is a little edgy at the can of worms he unintentionally just opened. Now Dexter wants his crown back more than ever, and he subtly looks around for it, and finds it, fortunately. Miguel and Ramon leave, but it's clear that Miguel is upset but composed, while Ramon is making rumblings of all manner of hellfire and brimstone raining down on whoever did this. Miguel Prado is played by Jimmy Smits, who I'm sure all of you will at least recognise, even if you don't know him by name. He's been in all sorts. I remember first seeing him decades ago in L.A. Law, way back when, but he's also been in the Star Wars prequels. He was in the West Wing for a time, NYPD Blue, and most recently in Sons of Anarchy. But he's had, he's had loads of roles. Good actor, and someone I was happy to see join the Dexter cast. We learn that Miguel was once involved with LaGuerta back in the early days. Batista says that to LaGuerta, Miguel will always be the one that got away. Unfortunately, this is not the best news for Dexter. Not only has he killed the baby brother of the assistant district attorney, who is not going to let this go, but he's got the full support of Maria LaGuerta, lieutenant of Miami Metro Homicide. Just perfect. In the briefing, we learn that Oscar had gone to Freebo's house to confront him about selling drugs to kids he knew, and it sets up dual pursuit of Freebo who is their suspect for the murder. Miami Metro wants him, but Dexter has to get him first. Freebo saw him. As Dexter says this episode, commandments 1 through 10 of his code, don't get caught. While Miguel Prado makes a passionate, emotional speech to the press, Dexter starts his research. He can't buy the fact that Oscar was at home, at the home of a lowlife like Freebo, purely on some noble mission to protect kids. 
He believes there has to be something he's guilty of, but the police records yield nothing apart from a couple of speeding tickets. For all intents and purposes, his record is clean. Dexter feels... What does he feel? I... I would use the word guilty, but I'm not sure Dexter's exactly capable of that. But it does seem to be something like that. He seems to feel like he's almost embarrassed himself by stepping well outside the code, even if it was unintentional. He was defending himself after all. Oscar came at him with a knife, such was the heat of the moment. You're listening to Dissecting Dexter. Email your feedback to dissectingdexter at gmail.com Blood. Sometimes it sets my teeth on edge. Quinn asks Deb how she's getting on with canvassing Freebo's neighbourhood. Deb says it's been difficult and Quinn says it's because there's no incentive for people to cooperate. He gives her the number of one of his informants from his narcotics days, thinking that that might that thinking that he might be able to help tongue tied here <laughs> i'm out of practice as deb walks away it's quite amusing without turning round she tells quinn stop looking at my ass <laughs> quinn laughs and he doesn't deny it i like that moment early impressions of quinn are tentatively positive for me he seems charming and wanting to make a good impression with his new colleagues helping deb there it's just the whole internal affairs thing that casts a shadow over him at this stage. We don't know what he's meant to have done, but it can't be good, can it? Deb goes to meet the old informant, someone called Anton Briggs. He sat by the bench, he's sorry, sat on a bench by the beach, playing the guitar. He seems nice and chilled out. He doesn't know much about Freebo apart from what's been in the papers. It's funny that he picked up on how uptight Deb was and told her where she could get some good weed to help her ease back a bit. I thought that was quite funny. I mean, we know Deb and we know she could be lovely, but she can also get very uptight and moody. And Anton there tried to break through that right away. I quickly warned to him in this scene. Awkward scene next. Cody asked Dexter to go to his dad day at school where dads talk to the class about what they do for a living. So here's Dexter in front of a bunch of primary school kids going into quite a lot of detail about what he does. He's got his famous red wall set up to simulate blood spatter and he's, he's going into quite lurid detail about the different types of spatter and spray. Hmm, <laughs> very appropriate, I don't think. Suffice it to say, it doesn't go down entirely well with the children, but it's sweet that Cody is still grateful that Dexter came. As he says, it would suck even more if I didn't have a dad today. Dexter's glad to be asked, though, but he looks at Cody and wonders... If anyone should have father issues, anger, rejection, abandonment, it's Cody. And what's he do? He moves on. How does that happen? Perhaps Dexter could learn something from the kids. It certainly gives him some pause for thought. Rita, meanwhile, is all emotional, appreciating how uncomplicated life is now. Bless her. <laughs> if only she knew. The moment's broken by a phone call. It's Miguel Prado, and he wants to meet Dexter right away. So, cut to Freebo's house. Miguel asks Dexter to talk him through what the scene says to him. Dexter, of course, can give a pretty accurate account of what happened. 
But he makes sure to soften things by saying the evidence suggests Oscar fought like a hero and that his eventual death was quick. Miguel appears to take a little comfort from this, but then asks a jarring question. Why a blood spatter analyst would be accessing the sheriff's database for information about his dead brother? It would be jarring to Dexter because he now knows that the database accesses logs, if he didn't know it already. He also knows that Miguel has been checking the logs. Dexter quickly comes up with a good answer, simply saying that he wants to find out more, to understand how this could have happened, that Oscar's death just got to him more than most. Miguel is satisfied by the answer, but the conversation turns a bit spiritual. He's gone. Yeah, I know. So a man dies, Mr. Morgan, and what's left for soul? And what is that exactly? I really couldn't tell you. Because some people say the soul just lives on forever. I hope not. Which makes you a cynic. It makes me a scientist. So no one you've ever loved is dying. My father died when I was in my 20s. And you don't believe that that his, his soul, you call it his life force, is still here somehow. It's living inside you. Because I... I should have been there for him. It's worth noting that Dexter shook his head no when Miguel asked if he thought his father's soul lived on inside him. We've never had Dexter pegged as any kind of spiritual man. Not at all. Miguel seems to be looking for further comfort for his grief. As a new character, I like him in this scene. He shows humility and um, vulnerability. And he wants to show Dexter how much Oscar was loved, so he invites him to the wake. Oh, deep joy. <laughs> Just what Dexter needs when what he really wants to be doing is being out there looking for Freebo. Back at Miami Metro... The troops are discussing the status of the case when Deb comes in and says Quinn's CI was worthless but has turned up information that reveals Oscar Prado was into Freebo for some serious money. While Batista tries to quietly shush shush her, she further announces that the reason is that Oscar Prado, and I quote, wasn't some hero coach who went into the hood and took one for the team. He was, and I quote again, a fucking junkie. I can't do justice to the line. Jennifer Carpenter says it with a lot more emphasis. <laughs> and terrible timing by Deb. Miguel and LaGuerta are standing right behind her. Whoopsie. All part of the learning process, Deb. Classic cliche there of any TV show or film. Check behind you before you berate somebody. LaGuerta wants Deb off the case, though. She gives a reasoned argument for it political ramifications and all that, but Batista isn't really happy about getting the job of telling her. But it's true, he is sergeant now, as LaGuerta says, and it comes with greater responsibility. He's Deb's boss, not her friend. It's tough for Batista because he's always had Deb's back before. He's always been nice to her, looked after her, listened to her when she's wanted a moan, been a kind of... been another big brother to her, really. And he knows how it will affect her to be booted off the case. That evening, 
It's time to commemorate Harry's birthday and Deb's waiting at the bar where she and Dexter drink to Harry every year. There's a photo of Harry behind the bar and Deb's on cranberry juice, a gesture presumably towards trying to rein herself in. So, while Deb's wondering where her brother's got to, her brother is attending the wake of Oscar Prado. Again, Miguel shows himself to be a reasonable and grounded man, telling Dexter it's OK about what Deb said earlier. He knows his brother wasn't perfect, but as Dexter reminds us in voiceover, Oscar came at him with a knife in a drug dealer's house. He certainly wasn't perfect. It still remains to be seen if that was just the heat of the moment, or there's more to it. It might have been Freebo's knife, as far as we know, and Oscar disarmed him in the struggle before Dexter got in there. But the death is nagging at Dexter. He's He's got a sense that something's wrong, and his intuition is not often far from the mark. As he stands over the open casket, Dexter's unaware of Miguel watching him. You have to wonder what he's thinking, seeing this police lab tech so interested and so apparently moved by his brother's death. You would think it a bit weird, wouldn't you? I mean, the conversation in the house earlier was fair enough, but Dexter, here now, looking to be sort of visibly upset the way he's sort of rubbing his face and what have you, over the coffin, it'd give you pause for thought, wouldn't it? Back in the bar, Batista joins Deb, toasting Harry and mocking her choice of cranberry juice before telling her she's off the case. Deb's understandably annoyed. Like she points out, she comes up with great intel on Oscar Prado and gets chucked off the case for being a bit loud. Deb shows determination to still get her detective badge despite this, but Batista tells her the only person in her way of doing that is Deb herself. And so that's it for the cranberry juice. (laughs) Deb goes back on to the hard stuff. As much as I sympathise with Deb, she does need to mature and settle down a bit professionally if she's going to move on. She doesn't need to compromise who she is, but she does need to be more mindful and definitely keep a check on engaging brain before mouth. She'll get there. It's just part of the learning process again. Outside the bar, Dexter sees Deb there and uh, muses how she spends her life trying to please her father, their father, I should say, while Dexter says he's going to follow Cody's lead and move on. He drives away from the bar to go to Rita's house. Now... Moving on is all well and good, but there's certainly no harm in joining your sister in raising a glass to your dad once a year. It'd give comfort to Deb and do Dexter no harm at all. It's a perfectly natural thing to do, in my opinion, but he seems to think in that moment that moving on means avoiding the moment completely. But, hey, that's Dexter for you. He he doesn't mean any harm by it, but he goes to Rita's instead. Perhaps this brings the episode full circle as he chooses Rita over his sister and honouring Harry, it again underlines his apparent growing fondness for Rita. Next morning, he meets Deb at a new crime scene where she's pissed off with him for the night before. Dexter tells her he's in another place at the moment with Harry. Remember last season, he found out stuff about him that showed him in a very different light. He can't explain that to Deb, though, but it's interesting how he manages to completely disarm her by apologising for not noticing her haircut. He tells her it's beautiful, which she picks up on. Now, I don't know if this was a brilliant, deliberate disarming by Dexter, knowing Deb so well, or him clutching at a straw to try and appease her in the moments, and she's not that mad at him that it works. 
We turn our attention to the crime scene where there's a dead girl lying face down. Dexter stoops to look, commenting to Masuka about his article. <laughs> so that's two mentions of this bloody article so far, and I'm still not sure why. Hey, Gary, change Batista. How are you, man? This is the Dissecting Dexter Podcast. Keep up to date with the show on Twitter. Follow at Dissect Dexter. So, to the dead girl, and two things jump out. First, it's Tegan. Remember the name? <laughs> the girl from Freebo's house. Of course, we knew that, didn't we? Second thing is, there's a square of skin cut away from her shoulder. Of course, Dexter's interest is immediately raised. The assumption is Freebo's responsible, and if he is, this must mean he's still in Miami, which means Dexter may still have a chance of getting him. Then, they edit in a couple of clunky, random moments. Clunky because they seem to be just shoved in there, just shoehorned in. Rita cooking chocolate pudding, I think while reading a leaflet about a hotel management course and Dexter getting his crown fixed. Not much to say, except we can, that we can presume that Rita is looking at getting a new job. Deb has another moment with that IA woman, Yuki, who acts like a proper bitch. Deb tells her she's not going to help. She says the people she's being asked to snoop on are her friends, her family. That's another good quality Deb has. She's fiercely loyal. Yuki is just annoying at this point and makes an implied threat to Deb's career progression. We close out with Dexter and Rita. He muses how Harry was right about his code, but it needs to evolve. Dexter needs to make it his own. Change is good, he says. And it is good for Dexter that he's able to do this. He doesn't need to apply himself too rigidly to the code for fear of what might happen if he doesn't. Rather, mould it and let it grow with him. However, he doesn't want to lose sight of the fact that Harry's code has proved its worth all this time, because arguably it's what's maintained his freedom all this time, and he won't want that to change. So while for most people, being able to adapt and change to, to life, through life's experiences, it's what we do, it's part of, growing is part of what makes us human, isn't it? But for Dexter... I don't know, should he learn to walk before he runs? <laughs> you, know what, you know what I mean, any change should be approached with some caution, I think, for Dex. However, as he muses how change is good, Rita, bowl of chocolate pudding in hand, has a sudden realisation that will rock Dexter's world. She's pregnant. And that's the opening episode of season three. A fairly low-key one after the initial action at the beginning of the episode with Dexter killing Oscar, but one that sets up the pieces for the coming season, and I think it's quite effective at doing that. Dexter needs to find Freebo before the police do. We've met Miguel Prado, who looks to have taken a curious interest in Dexter, stemming from Dexter's own surprising interest in the death of his brother. Surprising to Miguel, that is, not to us. <laughs> We've got the dead girl Tegan with the square of skin removed which at the moment looks to be connected to Freebo. We've got the new boy Quinn, who seems charming enough, but the hovering, if annoying, internal affairs woman suggests that there's a lot more to be revealed about him. 
Last, and maybe least, there's Masuka's article, which seems irrelevant enough, but yet they've made a point of mentioning it twice. On the negative side, there's a big dokes shapes hole in the show. I really miss that guy. The show is going to be poorer without him. Early impressions for me? I must admit, it didn't get my juices flowing quite like the first episodes of seasons one and two, but I do like the introductions of Quinn, and particularly Miguel Prado, being played by Jimmy Smits. It's not unreasonable to suspect that he'll be around for a good while this season, so he's someone to play close attention to, but he's very likeable so far. Listener Feedback Feedback time. If you want to share your thoughts with me about Dexter, and for these rewatches, we certainly don't get anywhere near as much feedback as we did for the new shows, the new seasons as they were airing, which is inevitable, of course, there's more interest in the new shows. But it's always good to hear from you guys. The email address is dissectingdexter at gmail.com or you could reach out on Twitter at dissectdexter. As you know, I make every effort to include all feedback in the podcast. It's the least I can do when you bother to get in touch. Like my two correspondents today. First, Bob DeGrand from the DexterCast emailed to say... This is not my favourite season opener. I don't have a lot of interest in most of the new characters, maybe Miguel Prado, but Yuki is annoying, and I resent Quinn immediately for not being dokes. Pregnant Rita rates to be even more of an obstacle to Dexter than normal Rita. I'm not sure I trust LaGuerta being well-intentioned and capable. Deb's attempt, Deb attempts a makeover, cutting her hair and giving up vices are OK with me, as long as she doesn't give up swearing. That would hurt the show too much. My favourite thing in this episode is Batista being promoted to sergeant. Bad things happen to him often enough that it's really nice to see a good guy come out on top for once. And I really think he has the people skills and maturity to excel in this job. Welcome back, Gareth. I'm really looking forward to the rewatch. Thanks, Bob. Nice to hear from you, mate. I share your appreciation of Batista. He's a good guy. He's made mistakes in the past, but has great integrity and good people skills that will serve him well as sergeant. As for Quinn, he already seems to be a very different character to Dokes. He fills the gap in the department, but definitely not the gap in the show. That rivalry between Dokes and Dexter was very special and made for some fantastic moments over the first two seasons. They shouldn't try to emulate it, because then they'd just be recycling and it wouldn't be the same. But they do need to replace it with something. I can't say exactly what it should be, I'm not a writer, but it needs something. A relationship may be that provides some exciting conflict and tension. Thanks again, Bob. Now we go over to everybody's favourite Dissecting Dexter guest host, Travis calling in from Norco, California, which, interestingly, is where Jimmy Smith's character in Sons of Anarchy had dreams of moving to. Must be nice there. Little Dexter connection. Here's Travis with an epic and suitably irreverent look at the episode. Our father, who art in England... Gareth be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy podcast be done, on earth as it is in North Yorkshire. Give us this day our daily dissection, 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive you for taking over a year to start the Season 3 rewatch after Season 8 ended last summer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us to the promised land of remembering Season 3 of Dexter. The good times, not the bad times. Amen. Well, wait a second. What is What is this? Church cast? 2014? No. Forget that noise. Y'all know what this is. You opened up your iTunes feed and bah, kicking down the door. Dissecting Dexter, baby. Gareth Watkins back in the saddle. We all knew what happened. We're all happy to have him back. Season 3, Episode 1 of Dexter. Our Father. Coming at you like a ton of bricks. And let me tell you, it, it came, it saw, and it conquered. I liked it a lot. I've said it before on the, on the podcast. Season, season 3 is my second favorite season after Season 1. Um, season two was very good. Uh, at the, when it aired back in 2007, I was, I was dumb, dumber than I am now still. Uh, and I, I, there was, I didn't like season two. I let, I let Lila ruin season two for me at the time. I'm over it now, but I really didn't like Lila. And I, although Dokes went out in a baddest way, I was disappointed to have to see Dokes go. And so I remember before season two aired, the first two episodes of that, Season leaked, and I was like a stalwart Dexter fan. I was like, nope, not watching those seasons. Believe it or not, there was a girl who actually wanted uh, to be to call herself my girlfriend at the time, and I remember I was even her and I, well, I was telling her, hey, you can't watch it. No, we gotta wait, wait for the episodes to air. Like Showtime wants it to, and so um, by the time season three is about to come out and those episodes leaked, I remember I I didn't give a fuck at that point. I was like, no, I'm watching them. I gotta make sure they're good. So. Yeah, I watched those episodes back, uh, or not back to back. I mean, I watched the single episode that leaked twice in a row. I was like, I got to see it. Once I did see it, I liked it, and I watched it again. Um, I think the thing uh, that I liked so much about what I saw, and this was me being so dramatic. It's so silly even talking about it now. But even as early as uh, season three, I was like nostalgic for season one. Because season two tonally was so different from season one. It was like, you know, Dexter under a lot of pressure, which a lot of people liked. A lot of people are like, oh, the FBI investigation, will he get caught, will he won't get caught. As far as I is concerned, like, Dexter never needed to get caught in the show. If, you know, if he ever got caught, I didn't care. Well, well I guess I, I don't know, I wanted Dexter to be happy, whatever happened. But, I mean, like, if I was, if in the show Dexter had never got caught, I would have been happy either way. Because I just liked watching Dexter, I don't know, murder fools, and then try to be a good man to Rita or whatever. And season three was more like season one in that sense. Dexter wasn't under a microscope. I mean, yeah, he, he was very, you know, things are going his way. And so I, I liked that a lot. And so I, uh, I don't know, I, I liked it. How many, how many fucking ways can I tell you I liked it? Gosh, yeesh. All right, so I have some notes. Let me, let me burn through these, get this done in a, in a sh- short fashion. Okay, note number one, short hair Deb. Deb's looking cute, you know what I'm saying? Jennifer Carpenter, beautiful woman. Generally, I like girls... You know, I'm like, give me a head with hair, long, beautiful hair. You know what I'm saying? Like, everywhere. Pop! Everywhere. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Gareth knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, this dude knows. And, but, you know, it's, it, short hair is hard to pull off on a girl, but, man, Deb made it work. I won't lie. It looked good to me. I liked it a lot. Speaking of good-looking women, goddamn Rita. Dexter and Rita fucking all the time in this episode. Woo! You know, man, if I, Rita farted in the same room as me, I'd be lucky. Damn, she's looking good. Which, of course... All that fucking leads to a baby. I'm going to talk about the baby at the end. 
But yeah, the whole pudding thing and like, oh, that song that I love so much. Man, Dexter, you slide dog. Uh, this episode introduced us to Jimmy Smith's Miguel Prado. Uh, I really liked, uh, I liked Jimmy Smith's in the show. He just, you know, Sons of Anarchy just wrapped and Jimmy Smith's was a part of Sons of Anarchy for the last few seasons. And every time I saw his character on that show, I was still like, that ain't Nero. That's my man Miguel Prado living it up in Cali. You know what I'm saying? This episode also introduced us to Yuki Amato, some some internal investigations lady trying to bug Deb. Uh, what's she getting at? She's asking about this person named Quinn. Quinn? Who's this Quinn fool? Well, Quinn, you know, I don't know. At, at, at the beginning of this episode, it seems almost like Quinn is kind of just like Dokes' replacement. He's not at all like Dokes. Like, you know, he doesn't... I don't even know if we see him interact with Dexter in this episode. Or anything like he, he doesn't have dokes behavior, but it just seems like well we need a new like macho dude in the in the department to fill that role. So here's here's this Quinn person, and so you know Quinn, what's Quinn's deal? Uh, he's like some rich, he's some rich dude um, who's like shady maybe. That's what Yuki says. She's shady. He's shady, and Deb don't want to get a part of that that nonsense. But um, uh, so we're introduced to those two characters, man. Are one or both or neither of them going to be important going on? Man, we'll see. We'll we'll have to see. Uh, this was one of the first episodes. I think it's the first episode we saw Dexter kill somebody who was quote unquote innocent. At least it's Dexter killed someone that with he didn't vet all the way, and it was really a novel idea to see at the time, like him freaking out. Oh shit! What did I do? And then you have to tear down the kill room. It was actually like really cool. So he was nervous. We were nervous. It's something we'd never seen him before do. I always was dubious of the idea where he's sneaking into Freebo's house and he says something like, oh, loud music, the perfect cover for a stalker. And I'm like, hell no. It's like the worst thing. Yeah, because exactly what happened will happen. You're sneaking around the house and then suddenly you get snuck up on and didn't even realize it. Like, nah, I, I always thought that was kind of dumb. Something else that was dumb, Dexter's speech to his his career day speech to Cody's class. I mean, the speech was supposed to be awkward and clumsy, whatever. No, what I didn't like was like the awkward staging and stuff at the end. It was like the most boy meets world cheesy sitcom-y part where when Dexter's done, he goes and kind of has like a heart to heart with Cody. Like, Hey man, sorry, I didn't do so well. And you know, he's like, I did great dad. Um, I think Cody doesn't call him dad, but Cody's definitely treating him more like a father figure. Hey, our father. But it's really, the awkwardness I'm talking about is, like, the whole class just stops to watch Dexter and Cody have this heart-to-heart. Like, none of the kids are speaking. Reed and the teacher just sitting there watching it happen. It's like the whole, nobody in the class has a life. And everything involves these two primary characters. I wish, you know, something like that wouldn't happen. But that probably doesn't bother a lot of people. Like, it bothers me. Um, the two more things. Carnival Kill. Uh, in the very beginning, I can never prove this, but I'm almost positive that the whole beginning part of this episode is rewritten or reshot or something. Because Dexter's in the in the dentist's, and he's like, well, you know, making all these dumb little double entendre. Like, well, man, I, I made a lot of friends this summer. You know, he shows him killing some dude. And Dexter's killing some guy at the carnival, and it's shot really, like, detailed. It's not shot like some goofy throwaway gag or flashback. It looks like they shot a whole thing. And... The reason I'm even saying that more is because I remember the promos leading up to season three coming out, and you can probably still find them on YouTube, but in the promos, it shows more of that scene. It shows more of Dexter catching this guy and tying him up, so it looks like they shot a lot of Dexter killing this guy at a carnival, and I'm disappointed that whatever, I believe, they ended up reworking it. I imagine they wanted to rework something 
they wanted to get Dexter's tooth to get loose or whatever. Because remember, that's a whole little sub, little minor subplot they had. Like, Dexter has to find his tooth at Freebo's house before the rest of the forensics team finds it. So in order to set that up, they needed to set up Dexter being at the dentist's. I don't know, maybe... I mean, I don't know these things, but that's what I think. Because I would have really liked to have seen Dexter kill some guy at a carnival. Like, well, I mean, that's just cool to look at. The colors and how, you know, the murder with all the children's fun fair going on. I don't know. Hopefully somebody else can, can verify what I've said. But finally, Rita gets pregnant at the end. That's a big bombshell. That seems to be what we'd be going forward. Kind of like a big thread for this upcoming season. Rita's pregnant. Dexter, the father. Now, when TV shows introduce kids, when Cousin Oliver joins the Brady Bunch, they, t- they tend to kind of suck. It, that that kind of says desperation to me from writers. Like, fuck, we don't know what to do with these characters already. You know, so let's... What ha- what, do, what do people in real life do when, when they're stuck in a rut? Oh, they make kids, whatever, I don't know. So, it makes me... Shows kind of start to suck when they add kids. Uh... Because the dynamic changes. I mean, nothing against children. We were all children once. Uh, but just dynamics that you like. People change when kids are around, and dynamics change about when kids join. Uh, and so that was a concern I had when season three started. Will this baby, is it going to ruin the show? And I guess that's something that we're going to talk about as the season goes on. Is the dynamic changing enough? Or is the dynamic changing too much? That the show is not what we used to like it to be? Or maybe it's not changing enough. Maybe it's not realistic. Like, Dexter, you got a goddamn kid. Why aren't you... Why isn't this happening? Why isn't this thing again? It'll be interesting to talk about. Thanks, Travis. Lots of good comments there. You're right about the awkwardness of the classroom scene. I like the notion that Cody was looking to Dexter as a father figure and the way Dexter responded in a positive way, but the staging of the scene really was awkward. You're absolutely right. Dexter and Cody's moments and then Rita getting all emotional about it while everyone stood by and watched or listened and the children were so well behaved (laughs) it was pretty corny but i think i got a bit lost in the pseudo father-son moment my personal perspective as a dad of two boys winning out over my critical viewers (laughs) eye shame on me that really was an interesting point about the carnivals the the carnival kill I didn't realise that about the promo footage, suggesting that this was originally going to be more of a thing. Perhaps it was going to be a kill of the week at some stage early this season. I did mention how I felt the episode had a couple of clunky moments that felt shoved in. Perhaps they had some narrative changes that required them to re-edit the episode at the last minute. The whole Rita getting pregnant thing. Clearly, the writers have already had Rita positioned as a well-meaning obstacle to Dexter's murderous activities. They've explored that to a degree already, so changing it up, let's make her pregnant and see how Dexter responds to that. It seems like a natural progression. We've seen Dexter getting on well with Astor and Cody, but of course it's a whole different ball game when you're dealing with a newborn baby. But it makes sense for the writers to present Dexter with new experiences and challenges, new challenges to deal with. I'm good with that, although fundamentally I think we all enjoy Dexter taking out the trash and (laughs) anything that gets in the way of that is going to be annoying, isn't it? Well, thanks for the feedback, Travis and Bob, and and thanks for those of you who have posted on the Facebook page with um, comments 
positive comments about the return of the podcast. Um, anyone who wants to contribute uh, via the Facebook page can do. Um, hop onto Facebook, look for Dissecting Dexter and you'll find it. Um, obviously no spoilers, but um, any comments about the podcast or forthcoming episodes that um, you might want me to include in future episodes do leave them there or as I mentioned earlier email me dissectingdexter at gmail.com where you can also send uh, an mp3 voicemail recording or if not an mp3 any format I should be able to do something with there's twitter at dissectdexter if you want to show some support for the show in another way you could also jump onto iTunes and leave Dissecting Dexter a nice five star review that would be good and uh I do look through, actually I've not looked through for months, I should look through again, there's probably probably some new ones I need to say thank you for on here, so I'll try and get that organised for next time. Well that concludes our opening podcast covering season three. I must admit, it was nice. It was nice. It was like catching up with an old friend, revisiting this season from five years ago. Six years ago, was it? Five years ago. Yeah, it was good. And it seems like I was not alone. Travis, in his voicemail, clearly felt that feeling of... that sentimental feeling, that nostalgic sense of going back to those halcyon days of Dexter. It was good. I hope you guys share that with us and uh, are looking forward, like I am, to delving into Season 3 over the coming weeks and months as we re-watch Dexter Season 3. And all that I'm left with now is to give you the traditional annual Yuletide greeting. To all of you listeners out there (laughs) in podcast land... (laughs) Happy Christmas to you and yours. I hope you have a wonderful time and a very peaceful and prosperous new year. And we shall be dissecting some more Dexter in the new year. We definitely will. And until then, thank you very much for listening and your ongoing support. And I'll speak to you soon.